Welcome on in, everybody, to the ultimate celebration of Saturday Night Live's greatest cast members of all time. My name is John from the SNN. Very excited to be with you for what is headed towards the culmination of weeks and weeks of this countdown of the top 50 SNL cast members of all time. We are now down to 12, 11, and 10 to be revealed tonight, getting to that top 10, the elite of the elite names in SNL history. And I cannot wait to do this show tonight because I think that this will be potentially the most fascinating show that we have. I think we have three people that we're going to talk about tonight that are very debatable because they are so good in so many ways, but in others, I'm not sure. And we're going to compare them to some other people we have on the list tonight. And I can't wait to get into all of those discussions with two great people we have on the podcast tonight and everyone in the live chat. So first, let me bring in the wonderful Kirsten Rayala. Kirsten, how are you? I'm great. Stay, trying to stay warm in Toronto. Uh, it's a great time to just stay inside and watch TV. So this works out well for me. Absolutely. Yeah. What a month we have ahead of us between the end of this countdown and then the three episodes of Saturday Night Live that were revealed today. In case you missed the news, we already knew about Emma Stone and Noah Khan coming up this weekend. We also have Adam Driver and Olivia Rodrigo the following week. Going to be unreal. And then we end the first half of the season with Kate McKinnon making her return to Saturday Night Live with musical guest Billie Eilish, also a former SNL host. So, so much to get into there. We're going to be talking about those over the next few weeks. That will be taking up all of our coverage throughout December. But for now, let's turn our attention to these next three and bring in our other guests here tonight. And that would be the great Eric from SNLytics. Is that how you say it, Eric? <laughs> Welcome you all in. You can say it however you want, John. <laughs> Welcome in, um, Thanks, John. Really excited to be here. I'm excited about the new the news that we've gotten today. Um, I'm going to be in New York next week and maybe the following week. So um, fingers crossed that I might get to do some uh, standby line. Yeah, that would be very exciting. Yeah, like I said, I really can't wait to talk about all of those shows, uh, in particular, Kate making her return to the show since we got to cover her for the last couple seasons as a cast member. And just it's so, so exciting. This is the best time of year to be an SNL fan. Cannot wait to talk through all of that. But first, Let's talk about the cast members we have revealed so far on the list. So we have 38 cast members we have spoken about up until this point. It's been weeks and weeks where we have revealed them every single time. And now I'm going to put the list of names up on the screen. So if you're watching us live, we're going to talk through who we have revealed so far. So spoilers again, if you're just jumping in at the end of the countdown, you may want to go back and watch some previous shows. But here we go. Let's talk about this list from 50 all the way to 13. I will reveal that we have Kevin Nealon, Joe Piscopo, David Spade, Mikey Day, Tracy Morgan, Chevy Chase, Jimmy Fallon, Bowen Yang, Martin Short, Sherry O'Terry. From 40 up, we have Ego Wodem, Taryn Killam, Chris Parnell, John Lovitz, Beck Bennett, Jane Curtin, Seth Meyers, Daryl Hammond, Anna Gasteyer. Bobby Moynihan. From 30 up, we have Tim Meadows, Vanessa Bayer, Bill Murray, Rachel Dratch, Adam Sandler, Jan Hooks, A.D. Bryant, John Belushi, Molly Shannon, and Andy Samberg. Into the top 20, we have Norm MacDonald, Mike Myers, Will Forte, Dan Aykroyd, Jason Sudeikis, Fred Armisen, Maya Rudolph, and Chris Farley revealed last week on the show. Kirsten, I know you were on with us earlier in this podcast series. Would love to know how you feel like the list has come together so far. I mean, it's I love it. I'm really glad that Taryn Killam's on there 
because he's often forgotten as a great cast member. So I'm thrilled to see that he's on this list. I thought Martin Short might be a bit higher, but when I looked down the list, I don't know where to put him because everyone is so great. So at this point, it's the best of the best. And gosh, I, I don't even know how you, I don't know how you're doing this. I'm just thrilled to be talking about all of these people because they all deserve to be here. And we could argue all day and night about what exact order, but I think we're really darn close. Like I don't have complaints about this. All right. Well, Eric, you've been in the chat every single week watching this breakdown live, and I would love to know your thoughts and how the list has come together. What do you think, how the listeners have done so far? Yeah, I I think if you just put together a list of the top, um, what is it, 38 people so far, I I think these are the right names on the list. The order is definitely debatable. Um, There are some people who, you know, I definitely feel are too low. I think I would probably move up. Piscopo, actually, uh, Jane Curtin, I, I definitely have way higher Jan Hooks. Um, but uh, there are people who are, you know, it's pleasantly surprising to see them this high. So like people like Vanessa Bayer, Tim Meadows, um, Rachel Drash. There's a lot of those people who, you know, are generally kind of underrated um, by people who don't necessarily watch the show as much as we do. And it's nice to see their names recognized so high on the list. So. You give and you take, and this is what you end up with. So overall, good product. Definitely. I think it's an interesting thought experiment about names that didn't make the top 50 and, you know, should they be there? I think that's a conversation we will have three weeks from now when we reveal the top three and have the full list to talk about. I think there's three or four names that I've been thinking about that probably should be there. But for the most part, I think that these are the right names as well. They're all within the top 50 or or give or take a, a few numbers. But uh, I'm, I think the top 12 that we have is really interesting. These are some names that I'm so excited to talk about. So Kirsten, Eric, are you ready to get into the first person we're going to talk about tonight? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. This is a very famous person from Saturday Night Live's history, somebody whose legacy is extremely strong. And I am very excited to get into the conversation to talk about this cast member at number 12 is... Tina Fey here, six seasons on Saturday Night Live from 2000 to 2006 as a cast member. She also was a writer for two more and a head writer for one more. So three more seasons in addition to those six on the show. Clearly changed the game for women at the show, being a head writer there. Just her legacy is so, so strong in that aspect of things. Was mostly relegated to Weekend Update throughout her tenure as a cast member did some other stuff as well. You'll see in the SPE here where we talk about that 1.66 as a cast member. So if you think someone's traditionally just on update, they would be closer to 1.00. But here we have 1.66. So just something to think about as we start to talk about her history on the show. Of course, hosted six times as well. That it will, you know, that number is different to everybody, depending on how they feel. Should that be included in terms of her legacy, the fact that she's come back? But you know, if you're going to count her hosting appearances, I certainly think you have to count her time as Sarah Palin on the show, which was, you know, voted as one of the greatest impressions in SNL history. So there's so much to talk here from Tina and her tenure at the show. Kirsten, I'll start with you. What do you think about Tina and her placement here at 12? I mean, at this point, again, there's so many incredible people. I think she isn't in the top 10 because she did spend so much time on Weekend Update and was a little bit more behind the scenes. And you look at someone like Will Ferrell, who I'm going to assume is in the top 10, 
and became so well known for the sketches and the character work would, and that type of person would overshadow her and bump her out of the top 10, I believe. But when I think about Tina Fey, I think about a trailblazer. So I think she being in the top 12, she's 12, is right for all that she did for women on the show. Yeah, trailblazer is certainly a word to describe Tina's time on the show. There are a lot of factors to consider when comparing her to other cast members. So Eric, I know you've been, I believe, putting together a list of your own. How do you look at Tina Fey, her place at the show, and where she comes in here from the fans? Yeah, this is definitely the hardest person, I think, of any cast member to rank just because of sort of if you just took an eye test of her time on the show as a cast member and you didn't know anything um, behind the scenes, I don't think that she winds up anywhere close to this high. Um, but if you know all that behind the scenes stuff, if you know, you know how she brought um, together all the women on the show, and if you have the context of everything that she did after the show, um, you know, whether it be uh, Sarah Palin, her hosting, um, even 30 Rock, which is, you know, sort of a show about SNL. So I think it sort of adds to her legacy there. Um, that sort of puts a whole lot of weight in her favor. Um, I, I have a little statistic I've I've brought here. So um, okay. just about her legacy on the show. So there's this website called Sporkle. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, um, but it's this sort of trivia website where a lot of the quizzes are, um, you know, try to name every president of the United States or every state in the United States. So there's one quiz where you try to name every single cast member on SNL. Um, and Tina Fey, of all the cast members, um, if you look at the statistics of the quiz, the most people have guessed Tina Fey. So most people remember Tina Fey on the show over you know, some you know, season one legends, um, some current cast member legends. She's the one who sort of gets the most recognition. So I think that people remember her well. And... Um, if anything, that's what brings her up to this point. I love that because I've actually done that Sporkle quiz before. <laughs> and I uh, like I always miss like two or three cast members. Yeah. And like Mike Murray always like shoves it in my face because he can remember every them every like he could just name them off. And uh, it, it's crazy. But I agree. Uh, name recognition. She's huge. You know, you talk about Mean Girls. You talk about 30 Rock. Like these things are are huge factors here. Her connection, uh, her ability, her connections with other SNL cast members to bring the women of SNL at the time and become this, you know, posse of, of people who will then go on and work on other projects and really define a generation for the show. I think, like I said, those are all legacy factors here. I just want to put everything out on the table and then we can talk about some of those moments. From my criteria, when I look at her, I mean, was she meant for SNL? I certainly think that she's a brilliant writer. I think that she's contributed to a lot of the great moments in the show. Was her you know, place in life to be on Saturday Night Live? I, I would say no, not necessarily. Like she was great on the show, but could she have done something else? I, I do think so. I think that like, I wouldn't say that she was just like built in a lab for Saturday Night Live because I just think she's so talented. So I'll probably like, you know, dock a couple points there from a statistics perspective. She doesn't dominate the show, but that was, you know, where she put herself when she, you know, auditioned to become Weekend Update anchor and then head writer. She was never going to be in a million sketches. So you sort of have to like look at the caveat of this, the analytics here in comparing her to other people. But then, you know, she does come back and host six times and shows her chops in terms of being in a ton of sketches every time she hosts and shows that she has the ability to do that. So part of me actually wishes that back in the day she was in more sketches because I think that when she was, she did a very good job with most of them. So those are things that I think about here. 
I think that the biggest criticism for Tina Fey and her time at the show from what I've seen in my time podcasting here at the SNN is a lot of people feel like the era in which she was head writer wasn't the best time at the show. And I think that some of those seasons are, you know, not voted as great seasons. We didn't draft them when we did the draft very highly. But I think that some of it is hard to put the blame on Tina despite her being head writer. And I would say the reason for that is because she ends up being the anchor person for or the quarterback of the show in a world that has to go through 9-11 and then try and be funny afterwards, where nobody wants to, and I just heard Amy Poehler talk about this on Final. Nobody wanted to hear politics. Nobody wanted to hear, you know, religion talk. Everyone wanted to just talk about pop culture, talk about Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and, and, you know, what was happening in the world then. And they sort of like were, you know, stuck in a, in a place that they couldn't get out of for a while. Also losing Will Ferrell probably doesn't help, but these are things that I think that, that factored into people's perception going back to those seasons that I don't know is exactly fair to Tina. So I'm not completely resolving her for being the head writer at during those couple seasons that I think are not highly regarded. But I think you just have to look at everything when you're having these discussions. So Kirsten, I would love to know from you, do you have any perspective on this? And then let's talk about some of those moments that we really do love from Tina on the show. Mm-hmm. Those are all really interesting points. And I, you know, at first I thought, no, but I, I hear you. And I think even politically it was, there was a real paradigm shift in how we politics were were happening and occurring in the United States. So it was a tough one. It really was. So yeah, I hear you. I, I think what did, what outweighs that is the, as you said, the idea that she came in and said, women can be friends, we can support each other, and we can do this together. And it although we've had to, in the past, feel like we're competing for things like let's as you, I use the word posse, like she really galvanized that for the show. And I think that's what makes her stand out so much. And it's not necessarily something you could put your finger on if you were describing kind of what she did there, but all the women that came out of it, you know, again, you look outside the show and they all still do work together. I mean, I think they're friends in real life, you know, Tina and Amy show up on a, to present an award on a, on a show like the Emmys or the Oscars. And we freak out because it's that magic quality that they have. Um, so she definitely made her mark against some headwinds. And I think the female part is one thing I really enjoyed. And the, a lot of the sketches reflect that too. Like you have up here, Annual and um, Brownie husband. There's also Woomba where she really started to take the piss out of some of these lady tropes and stereotypes that were out there and and kind of take the blinders off of how the marketing and TV and commercial world was looking at women as consumers and such. So I think there's a lot to applaud her for in that respect. Yeah. And like I said, you, you could look at her run on the show and then end it at 2006 and be like, how do I evaluate her as a cast member? Or you could also take into account that she does come back a bunch of times, host six mm-hmm. times, guest six times. And she is brilliant in many of the things that she does when she comes back to be on the show. We talk about Meet Your Second Wife as one of the best sketches of the 40s uh, of SNL. And like, you know, that is yeah. a sketch that, you know, that that's Tina and Amy out there and, and you know, their partnership. And I do think about comparing the group of women on the show you know, not only are they extremely talented, but they're so close with each other. Like you see that in the 35th anniversary Betty White episode where you have all of those women back together and her relationship with, you know, Rachel and Amy and Maya, like 
you don't necessarily get that in other eras of the show. Like I do think about Jan and Nora being close, but you know, legend tells that, you know, Victoria was not really tight with them and stuff like that. And I just think that like Tina's ability to bring the women of SNL together and then thrive on the show is something that like really boosts her legacy for me. Eric, what are your thoughts on all this and some other moments from Tina Fey's time at SNL? Yeah, I have to agree on, on, um, you know, how she sort of corrals the women together. I, I love the word posse for it for some reason. Um, I, I just watched a sketch or, or a weekend update bit where she sort of tears into this article that talks about, um, how career women shouldn't wait to have children. And she, you know, does her classic Tina Fey, like, oh yeah, like that article's like definitely right. But she has that sarcastic wit about her that I can't really pull off. Um, but, but she does it so well. And then at the end, all of the women of the show, um, you know, sort of corral around her and are like. Yeah, that article's so right. And then at the very end, uh, I think it was a week after Anna Gasteyer had given birth, or maybe she was still pregnant. Um, they're like, "Oh, let's go look at uh, Anna Gasteyer's baby." So um, it, it's great to see, um, you know, that corral of women around her. Um, I think the one thing that is sort of a detractor is a lot of the sort of homophobic jokes that you see on Weekend Update at the time, and Coming from some of the sketches, they don't bother me as much, but coming from Tina, they actually bother me quite a bit more because she's so politically sharp and she's so smart. And it's just like really hard to hear a lot of that coming from her. So if I had like one criticism of, of her time on the show, um, it's definitely that. Um, but um, I don't know how much we want to go into that can of worms here. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a whole, she's just you know really smart on the show um really great for the women on the show as a whole does it feel like she was the first woman to almost get a seat at the big boys table like in with lauren like if there was a small core group that went for dinner she was probably the first female that was invited for her brain and not just her company and i i'm assuming these things but i have the impression that she was respected on a different level by some of the folks there look i i think that um again like some of these conversations about what really happened at snl yeah. over the years get watered down and i think the general consensus is that she was sort of the pivot point for women in the history of the show i'm sure if you were to go back to just even a few years before her and talk about, you know, Sherry and Anna and Molly's time at SNL and how they fit in with the rest of the cast. I'm sure that there were also great moments where you could say that they sat at that table. Um, I believe that, you know, Jan Hooks was wildly respected during her time at the show and Nora as well. And then even going back to the days of Jane and Lorraine and, and, and Gilda, I mean, I think they all had their place in history. Uh, but I do think that Tina probably became a decision maker at the show, unlike any woman uh, before her. And I think that she had the ability to make change at the show. And, you know, that like you described her as a trailblazer, like I, I believe that she is. And that's why, you know, despite those things that and by the way, Eric, there's, you know, on this podcast, we don't dodge anything. Like, I agree. There were some really, there was some really bad stuff that went on at SNL and some of the jokes on Weekend Update in the early 2000s that uh, came through, you know, Tina and Jimmy's Weekend Update era and even in some sketches. But I, I also want to, you know, say that, like, at the same time, 
there was a lot of progress that was being made eventually through her and um you know just just to give full context of the story you know can i just say too and i want to clarify i think the, it's not that the women haven't been respected because i th- i think women before that of course they were they're comedic legends but what you said about her having influence and decision making power that to me was another level that i think she achieved unlocked what have you where it's the women before her all had great contributions and i'm sure were well loved well liked respected all of these things but she had a seat at the table in that she was courtesy of being head writer or how she got it um someone who had a vote i guess i could say it that way yeah, and I also want to say, like, I know some uh, people in the chat are talking about some of the other uh, women who were writers at the show prior to her, like Marilyn Suzanne Miller mm-hmm. and Beats, Rosie Schuster, and like back in the beginning, Christine Zander, as I brought up during that like second grade era, was such an amazing writer. Uh, Bonnie Turner, you know, like, there's a lot of of really yeah. great women writers in the history of the show. But I guess the the major difference here between Tina and all of them is that. Um, Tina was on camera, and as a result, the general audience was able to see her quarterbacking in the show in a way that we didn't get with those previous women writers, not to say that they Mm -hmm. didn't have an influence on the direction of the show, especially writing for the women that were on camera. But Tina got to write and then go out and, you know, play be quarterback on the playbook and I I just think that that is uh, that is a major difference here and probably why she does get that credit. Mm-hmm. And I think Lauren like really wanted her on update, right? Like she was, it wasn't necessarily that she was asking for it. It was something that Lauren sort of handpicked and said, you're going to be on update. Like we want you in the room. We want you to be a face. For sure. I mean, it's, it is very funny to go back to the times where she is just a writer on the show and then see her asking questions to host in the audience, like as you know, in those like pre 2000s days. And you see like a very young Tina Fey, like j- j- literally she looks so young and you're like, wow, this person is going to become one of the biggest names in SNL history. And it's like, it is so crazy to see her develop on the show. Like I said, have that great, you know, time throughout those years. And then go off the show go on 30 rock come back to the show so many times and really like i do think that she is you know we're talking about emma stone heading into the you know five timers club this weekend i have to think that like you know if you're going to celebrate a woman entering the five timers club tina's name has to be at the top of the list of people you would want to show up because she's so representative of women and their time at saturday night live so to me she definitely deserves to be celebrated the question is does it need to be as high as it is right now and you know i guess it it really depends on how you view her time at the show is it just as a cast member is it everything she did afterwards i will tell you that about 10 years ago Rolling Stone ranked her as the number three cast member in SNL history, said she resurrected parts of the show, including Weekend Update. And then her sketches were now, uh, sketches at the time were now full of ass kicking women. So again, they viewed things in a similar way that a lot of our viewers did. And that's why Tina's ranked so high here, not as high as three, but at 12. So I guess my questions are for you, Kirsten and Eric. Kirsten, are there any other moments from Tina's career that you would like to bring up? And how do you feel about her ranking overall here at 12? I'm happy with the ranking for all the reasons we discussed. I think she needs to be near that top 10, um, but I'm okay with her not being in the top 10, given the other talent. Um, I, again, love all of the sketches that she wrote, and I love the appearances that 
she made in them when she was hosting, you know, Brownie Husband, Blurred Out on Girls, Mom Jeans. You know, all these moments were really perfectly captured by her, whether she was a writer or a performer. And I just think there was an intelligence and a cleverness to the way that she approached her writing and her performance that um, I really appreciated. So I'm thrilled to see her there. I agree with you that she probably could have had a, a slotting doors career that would have been just as successful on television um, or her own show, Alice Samantha B. Like that probably would have been the cards for her, but I'm glad she was on SNL because we got to see her do all these great things. Eric, what do you think about her placement on the list in the end and any other moments you want to bring up? Yeah, ultimately, I think on a top 50 list of cast members, um, I might have her lower just because her, you know, as a cast member, she's sort of slotted to one place for the most part. Um, but uh, for, for what she means to the show and for the value she's added since she left the show, I, I think that um, she, she deserves that spot. Um, you know, there's some points in time in the last few years where she showed up on update and you can just like feel how important it is that she's there. So, you know, when there were the UVA protests a few years ago and she shows up on update, you're like, okay, Tina's here. Like she's going to say something important. And I don't think that very many alumni cast members, um, can do that. Uh, the only other thing I really want to say is I, I just love how she says, um, how she says good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Like, I think that's a great callback to the beginning of the show and especially a great callback to Jane Curtin. I know that Chevy was the first one to say it, but Jane said it like way more than him. And I think that a lot of Tina's delivery is sort of in a way modeled off of Jane, um, just that sort of straight laced delivery. So I just love that she says that um, and that she brought that back. I agree. I love when cast members have an affinity for the show that they're on. So for me, uh, that is bonus points for Tina Fey. All right, Tina Fey there at 12. Let's get to 11. The last person who is outside of our top 10, but still, what a high placement and well-deserved for the next cast member we're going to talk about. This is somebody who I will say was one of my favorite cast members to watch on the show. Just blew me away every single time I saw them on screen and somebody that I would also describe as a trailblazer. Blazer. So let's talk about the one, the only, at number 11, Gilda Radner here, five seasons on Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 1980, 106 episodes at the show, was there for all those first five seasons, 39th all time, 505 sketches, 31st all time. And yeah, I mean, Gilda, unbelievable, just the most exciting person to watch for me every single time they got on screen. I talk about that original cast and I'm like, I love Dan Aykroyd. He's the guy who I feel like just anchored all those sketches in a way that I just feel like made the show so watchable. But Gilda Radner to me was like that spice that I could not wait to see what she did. She did on the show because to me she was she was so sweet and so like such a beautiful performer, and then could turn around and do Roseanne, Roseanne, Dana, and be be so different. And it was just so amazing to watch and and like you know. For for all of the problems we've heard about in the seventies about you know people like Belushi saying that women aren't funny and other you know criticizing how how women really do on Saturday Night Live, I think it was general consensus everywhere that Gilda was hilarious and was so great on the show. And I do think if you pluck Gilda Radner out of SNL and the universe of Saturday Night Live, 
I, I think that the show is is monumentally worse. I can't imagine a series of SNL without Gilda Radder in it. And wow, do I wish that she could have been around to come back at the show multiple times. I mean, that is like, to me, just one of the most like, you know, alternate universe moments where I'm like, you know, she just came so close to hosting once and could have been back. And uh, I wish we still could have had her around. But there's so much to talk about here with Gilda and celebrating her her life and her career at the show and all of her great moments. So, um, Eric, I will start with you on this one. So what do you think about Gilda Radner here at 11? Yeah, I mean, there's not much I can say that hasn't been said by, you know, thousands of people before I was born. But um, she's just the the beating heart of the first five seasons. I think there's a ton of cynical people on the show who are trying to be edgy. And if you don't have Gilda there um, to sort of like bring the cheer, then it, it's a very, very, mm-hmm. very dark show. Um, I don't want to know what O'Donoghue would have done without without Gilda there. Um, but yeah, I, this I think is a little too low for me. Um, I don't. I find it kind of hard to believe she's not in the top ten, but um, I just love her so much on the show. I think of all of the actors in the original cast. She has like the best raw acting on the show um, in conjunction with Belushi perhaps, but I, I just think their acting is so good. Um, she can just like deliver anything. She never flubs a line and, and she just brings you joy um, whenever you see her. So go Gilda. Kirsten, what are your thoughts on Gilda Radner as a performer, her time on SNL and how she landed here at 11? Uh John, what you said about imagining the show without her, you're right, it would have, who knows if it would have been around because she did bring so much levity to the kind of cool guy shtick, the like hubris and stuff of of Chevy and them. Like she just was so, just this brilliant ray of sunshine. And some of the folks that are on the show to this day that I respond most to, and that I feel generally people respond most to are the ones who leave all of their ego and at the door and they just get out there and they're silly and they have fun and they embrace it and they're okay if they don't look pretty or gorgeous or whatever. And she, I think was the person who made that possible for everyone because you go back and you watch like Judy Miller and you, appreciate how one person by themselves with no other props besides what's in a teen girl's bedroom, a blanket, a skirt or whatever, and she's even having fun with those, how you can captivate an audience for so many minutes by yourself with so much energy and joy and passion. That's really, really hard to do. And I don't know how much people appreciate what she was able to evoke in us with just simple characters like a a bubbly teen girl and likely inspired folks like Amy Poehler and Caitlin, right? And kind of paved the road for all those types of characters as well. So I think she's a legend. I think she would have been in the top 10 if more recently people were familiar with her work. And I think it is such a, can I swear? It's such an effing, I won't swear. It's such an effing shame that we lost her. Right. Because she could have been on for decades. Like Keenan would have been beat with his record because she would have still been on the show. And she is someone who would have been born in a factory to be on Saturday Night Live. Like, oh, just what a wonderful woman. 
Yes. Well, I, I think at least we would have seen her back many, many times over, um, you know, had she been still yeah. around. And, you know, I, I do want to talk about, so a lot of, you know, a lot of your listeners, you know, you, you guys have seen every episode of the show, every season of the show. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but there are many of our listeners who haven't necessarily gone back to the seventies and watched Gilda and they may have heard of her, but let me just tell you like a little story, which is that, you know, our first three episodes of the show, George Carlin, where he is, you know, a stand-up comic and not really in sketches. They're still trying to figure out what works. It's a variety show. We get then Paul Simon who hosts the show and it's really all musical. You only see the cast pretty much once as bees. Rob Reiner hosts the show then and they're trying to like still figure things out. We get a sketch called What Gilda Ate, which is the first time that you really get to see cast members of themselves and it's fun. You get Belushi as Joe Cocker. Like they're really trying to figure it out. But it's that fourth episode of the show where Candace Bergen hosts for the first time another five-time host, which I hope to see this weekend. And Candy hosts the show and and she has this moment on stage where it's a sketch i believe we called it feminine talk where it's her sitting next to gilda radner and they're talking about the era back in the 70s which is the equal rights amendment and and voting on that at the time and you know they put together this this sketch or these sort of like almost like a fun interaction that you get to watch between the two of them talking about women's rights and whether to vote for it or not and it really to me is the first instance on the show of like getting to know these people as people like beyond them just being cast members and like Gilda opening up her heart and like, you know, talking and and having that moment. And yeah, it's like, you know, she's sort of playing like, should, you know, she says, I didn't vote. Should I have voted? And I just love that interaction with them. Like, I didn't know when I watched it the first time that I was going to get that on the show, but I saw it and it made me like fall in love with Gilda Radner. And then to see her then develop and then do all these crazy characters and become this person on the show. It was just like, I just don't know that there's ever been anybody like her on the show to be like the sweetest person that just like makes you want to give her a hug, but then also be absolutely crazy and wild on stage and just so much fun. To me, she's like as unique of an archetype as we've ever seen on the show. And somebody that I, I do believe is probably in the top 10 for me because um, she deserves to be celebrated in that way because she is so wonderful. So Eric, for you, any moments from your watching through Gilda Radner's career on the show that you would like to talk about? Yeah, there's, there's a few. So uh, similar to the, the Candy Bergen vein, um, there's the moment in season one, which is sort of a runner. I think it's the first Elliot Gould episode um, where she's sort of fallen in love with Elliot Gould and she keeps kind of asking him out or, or, or wondering why he's not you know, returning her calls or whatever. Um, that's, that's one of those moments where, you know, you, you know, obviously Gilda isn't actually in love with Elliot Gould, but it's, it's so fun to see her, you know, playing that version of herself. And, um, that's, that's a great moment for me. Um, one that I think really illustrates her sort of technical skills, um, and just her like flawless delivery. Um, there's a sketch, I think it's the season two finale with Buck Henry. Um, where there's a talk show and Buck Henry is sort of talking about his his research findings to Jane Curtin, who's the host. And um, every point in a sentence where he would have some kind of punctuation, if it was written down, Gilda would say the punctuation. So she would say out, speak out the commas, speak out the periods, speak out the semicolons. Um, and it's just like a great showcase for her, you know, like technical skill um, as a comedian. And I don't hear it talked about a lot, so I, I love to bring that sketch up. 
it's a great one. Yeah. And then the last one, um, which I think is my favorite Gilda sketch, is Candy Slice. Um, and that one I love just because it's it's pretty late in her career on the show. And I think at that point, I kind of thought I had seen everything there was to see um, from Gilda. And then all of a sudden, she just whips out this rock star. Um, and she's, you know, she's has like the perfect drunken mannerism. She's doing um, all the stuff that you might expect out of Belushi, but not out of Gilda Radner. Um, and it's just, it makes me smile every time to just watch that performance. So those are kind of my, my Gilda highlights, but obviously there's hundreds more. Kirsten, what about you? Any moments on your list that you want to talk about from Gilda's career? Uh, I think one of her famous moments is the ad lib with Candace Bergen. Yeah. Be extremely stupid. Um, that is in every reel. And what a great moment when, much to your point, people thought, ooh, this really is live. This is crackling. Like, I'm interested. I, what, like, because people didn't necessarily know what to take the show as. And then they saw how live it really was and how adept the performers were at, at ad libbing and, and improv on television. So I think that was a pivotal moment. And that's part of what made her so memorable. I really, I have a lot of heart for Lisa and Todd, the giggle fest that was. Um, Lisa and Todd, the nerds. you know, with the the nerds, with uh, the Aykroyd as the kitchen repairman, and uh, his butt crack, and them just giggling. Oh my gosh! I mean, that's just a, a dose of medicine when you need one. Yeah, there, there's so many great ones, including uh, I mean, we we've discussed here on the podcast before about her Baba Wawa, which was her <laughs> Barbara Walters impression, which I don't think Barbara Walters loved, but still was very very famous. Uh, you know, Emily Latella, and then Rosanna Rosanna after that, which sort of like you know uh, was basically one was retired and then she moved on to Roseanne. And I, I hear like a lot of people say like, well, it was done so many times that we saw it week after week. It was like you know what Stefan was back in the day, you know, but even more. But then again, you know the only times you could watch Saturday Night Live over again was if they replayed a show. Otherwise, you were seeing it once and then that was it. That was the only time you were seeing that episode of Saturday Night Live back in the 70s. So at the time, uh, you know, this is what people were coming to the show for. They wanted to see a Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. They were so excited. That was one of the big moments you would get. Like, oh, wow, am I going to get to see that on Weekend Update tonight? It's like going to a concert and seeing someone perform their greatest hit. And I, I think like that was such a huge part of the 70s of the show. And then, you know, you mentioned the nerds. I just think that Gilda's ability to play with every cast member, I think, is so amazing. The fact that she can, like, she's one of the people in the history of the show that I look back on. I'm like, okay, yeah, she has great moments with Jane Curtin, with Chevy Chase, with Lorraine Newman, with Dan Aykroyd. Like, it's just like, you just think with Bill Murray, like, there's just, you think of all these things. I'm like, wow, she's an amazing scene partner for every single person. Think of her and Steve Martin together. I mean, just that, you know, the, how great they were. And I do think back to, you know, that time where Steve Martin hosts the show and then you get the, the whole, you know, discussion of Gilda passing. And, you know, that is just such a legacy moment in the history of the show. It's, it's a horrible moment, but it is something that I think is so important to the history of the show, that time where, where we get Steve coming on for, I believe it was a finale and and it's just those that stuff is just so uh fascinating to me to think about and and i do like i said i i think that had she you know still been around i think she would have hosted a bunch of times she would have come back and she would have been like an absolute legend i, I think you know when you make the sports comparison to like which cast members in the history of the show would they like build a statue in front of the in front of 30 rock for i have to think that gilda radner would be one of those people 
And um, from a, a numbers perspective, 4.76 sketches per episode, that is good for 10th all time. When she left the show at the end of season five, she was the sketch leader. So she had the most sketches in SNL history when she left the show at the time. Uh, she In season one, she was second overall in sketches. Season two, second. Season three, tied for fourth. Season four, tied for third. And season five, third. I mean, think about that. In the first season of Saturday Night Live, in a show which nobody knew would men dominate, probably. I mean, that's what was happening in comedy at the time. She ends up second overall in sketches from season one at the show. Um, so uh, to me, just has so many points on her resume that I think back her up as one of the greats of all greats. Rolling Stone back in the day actually did have her at nine. I said she was beloved prototype for a brainy city girl with a bunch of neuroses. I think it's a funny way to put it. But uh, here we do have her at 11. So let me go back to our panel here. Eric, starting with you, any final thoughts on Gilda Radner and her place here at 11 on the list? Yeah, you yeah, you brought up the nerds. You both brought up the nerds and Dancing in the Dark. I, I just think that sometimes it's it's not always funny to see Gilda, but it's just so nice to see her on screen. And you can see that with those sketches. Like the nerds aren't always hilarious, but they're just such nice sketches. And then she's in a lot of great um, Marilyn Susan Miller sketches that are the same way. I see this chat's bringing that up a lot. Um, so yeah, she's just a, such a pleasure to see on screen. And um, really, I think from that first cast, she's the only one who really like shows who she is like as a person and then can also do sort of incredible character work and sort of hide behind the characters as well. Um, and yeah, I, I just love Gilda. Kirsten, final thoughts on Gilda Radner here at 11. Oh, in my dream world, she would be sitting in that armchair of the Five Timers Club, wearing yeah. the jacket and handing it out with a high five and a hug to everyone. And, and that's that's the world I'm going to live in. Absolutely. And uh, our friend Casey in the chat mentions that Gilda was supposed to host that season 13 finale that Writer Strike ended early that season. So, um, yeah, of course, that is like one of those moments that we all talk about as SNL fans of like, what would the show have looked like? Have we seen Gilda Radner come back? Because you don't see her come back after that, five, you know, five season run at the show. So, um, yeah, so much to talk about here. I'm interested to discuss where she will come uh, in in terms of resume to resume against people in the top 10. And, you know, I'm sure for a lot of you, you will have her either in your top 10 or top five. All right. One more cast member to talk about tonight. And uh, this conversation, I think, is going to be interesting. This is a conversation I've been excited to have since we started this podcast series back a few months ago, because I have asked this question on the podcast before. Where do you rank this person in the history of the show? Because they have a resume unlike anybody else in the history of the show. And that is because at number 10, our first member of the top 10 cast members in the history of Saturday Night Live is Keenan Thompson, 21 seasons and counting at Saturday Night Live from 2003 to the present. Will he ever leave the show? We don't know. This could be Keenan's show until it goes off the air, if that ever happens. 407 episodes, first all time. To this date, as of recording, 1,634 sketches, first all time. 46 characters, 157 impressions. I mean, this is the king of longevity at the show. There has been nothing like this to compare it to because I think everybody thought, all right, when you saw him on the show, uh, great cast member, has their moments, really starts to find his way on the show, and then you know goes through that era with all of his contemporaries, and then he just continues on to another era. 
And I believe strongly, because we do talk about Keenan every single week here on the podcast, that Keenan has had some of the greatest moments of his career over the last few seasons where he has dominated on the show, unlike uh, anybody else. Imagine that. Imagine being at your peak potentially in your 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th season. Like it just, it's crazy to think about the stuff that he has done on the show. But the big question here is how do you value longevity compared to other factors when talking about who is the greatest in the history of the show? Because clearly, nobody can argue with Keenan Thompson and what he's done on the show. You know, I will also bring up the fact that he is a black man. And in the history of the show, save for Eddie Murphy, you haven't had a black man dominate the show besides Keenan Thompson. And, you know, prior to that, it had been like 20, 25 years since Eddie was on the show and different circumstances. But Keenan has found a way to do that. He's also seen the show become more diverse. And I will say, we talked about Trailblazers with Tina and Gilda. I have to put Keenan in that category because I do believe that Keenan had a lot to do with the show getting more diverse. So these are all things to talk about when it comes to legacy and perhaps no one's legacy is as big as Keenan Thompson and Saturday Night Live. So Kirsten, what do you think? Keenan Thompson here at 10. You know, it's it's funny. In watching the chat, I see, you know, con- contention a little bit. But I do think it's, yes, there's longevity and we have to respect that. But he also is great at this show. He's great at Saturday Night Live. The numbers bear that out. There is evidence of how great he is. And I think he said he's never going to leave the show. And in fact, I think the last ever, I'm not, I'm hoping he doesn't come at any time soon, but the last episode of the show, someone's going to turn out the studio lights and we're going to cut to his reaction shot. And that's going to be it. That would be a fitting end for it because we all love his reaction shots, or I do. Um, I think this one will be somewhat controversial, but the evidence supports, not just the numbers, but like his performance, the evidence supports him being near the top because no one has had a run like this. And he's just such a steady Eddie. Like you have to give it up for him. Is he run, you know, leaving the show to be a world feral? No. But is he an anchor of the show? Yes. Yeah. I think he's like, you know, we, we talk about Phil Hartman as being a glue guy. Like I, I just think that Keenan mm-hmm. like glues the show together in yep. a way that like connects the last 20 seasons of my life and the show in a way I, I just like I can't praise him enough I do think that it's just so this is one of those guys like had he been on the show for five years are we talking about him in the top 50 probably not had he been on the show for just 10 years maybe in the top 25 but he's like I said 21 years at the show Eric I mean this is unlike anybody else we're going to be talking about so what are your thoughts on Keenan at 10 yeah I I can't imagine him really any lower than this just for longevity alone and his ability to just um sort of balance out the show over the last 10 years um where he's where he's really been the mainstay um i I think he's so interesting because he kind of has two halves right you you have keenan while his sort of original cast is on with bill Hader and fred armison and kristen wigg and then you have Keenan after they leave. And I think that there's a pretty um, large difference between the two. Like, as you said, you know, if we were doing this list 10 years ago, I don't know that he would be in the top 25 at all. Um, but since he's been, you know, 
the staple of the show. We've just grown so accustomed to seeing him. We know his mannerisms, like he, we know what he can do that will make us laugh. And I think that he's just very comfortable to have him there um, for us. And, you know, the show hasn't been stellar in the last, uh, you know, however many years. So he's just been so great to have along with the ride. Look, I think that the show, you know, when all is said and done, I believe that the last 10 years of SNL will be remembered for, you know, the Kates and Cecilies and 80s, like dominating the show post, you know, Keenan's original cast. And I just think the reason, uh, you know, not not that they're not great, but I do think part of the reason for that is that what Keenan does on the show is so underrated. Like, I don't think that the naked eye can spot how good of a cast member Keenan Thompson is. And that's like the major difference here is like, sometimes it takes going into the deep analytics to understand like how much he anchors things on the show. And that like, for the last, let's say, let's call it for the last 15 years, writers at the show knew that they could count on Keenan Thompson to make their sketches better. That if they wrote a sketch that was 75% good, Keenan would bring it up to 80 or 85. Like that, like he is just so valuable. To me, he may be one of the most valuable players in the history of SNL. And that's where I think he deserves to be in the top 10. So you did bring up like his first career on the show and then post Eric. So he has a 4.01 sketches per episode uh, average since his time back in 2003, all the way to now as a cast member. So before season 38, where you had all of you know his contemporaries there, he was at a 3.55. So you know on average, he's up half a sketch. But since that time, since season 38 on, he's at a 4.37. So, you know, he's gone up significantly in that time since he's become like the veteran staple of the cast. And if that was it alone, I would be like, okay, that's not good enough to me to be like, you're a top 10 cast member. But it is the fact that over the last few years, he has been the sketch leader, the screen time leader. He has had moments on the show where we're like, thank God Keenan is on Saturday Night Live because that episode was only good because Keenan Thompson did something great tonight. And I just think that that is so important. And I, I think he's underrated, honestly, if I have to say. I think he's probably the most underrated cast member in mm-hmm. the history of the show, despite his name recognition. So let's talk about some moments that we love from his career, Kirsten. And I'd love to go to you. Anyone on your list that you'd love to talk about? Oh, gosh, there's a long list. Okay, let me name a couple of years. Um, I loved Strollin', Strollin' to the Polls. I love this <laughs> real sharp commentary about voter suppression. That's when SNL nails it. When they take, when they have an opinion on something, but they deliver it in that unique way that only they can, that checked every box for me. Um, Reba McIntyre, do you know that uh, uh, Andy Samberg uh, pre tape? Um, I love all of the silly names that he comes up with, you know, uh, Reese DeWitt, um, also Something Claws. Like, imagine. 21 seasons of coming up with new characters that you have to take your hat off to that because even the most gifted of characters I think even a Kristen Wiig I love her but each character sometimes felt like a bit of the same just a little bit tweaked and Keenan gets a bit of that but 21 seasons of it that's admirable for sure um I think listen he's got a a star on the on Hollywood Boulevard right beside Lauren like we have to 
I think, yes, acknowledge that he is an anchor. He's the glue. He's dependable, reliable, friendly. He has the institutional knowledge of the show that he brings throughout all of these seasons. And it would be a very different show without him for many reasons. So I think it's right that he's there. I think it will be controversial, but I have so many favorite moments. Oh, you know what? Here's my last one that I can't believe I had named is a diner lobster. Go back yeah. and watch diner lobster. And it's, he's not hamming it up. He is just straight performing and it's incredible. Eric, let's go to some moments on your list that you want to talk about from Keenan's career. Yeah, I had all the Mulaney musicals. Um, I think, you know, he's sort of the key to all of those working. Um, really, a lot of the greatest sketches from the last five to 10 years, he is central in. So you have all of those. Um, you have David S. Pumpkins, where he's sort of the guide to that sketch. He's the guide and the host to the Black Jeopardy sketches. Um, and really, I, I think that, you know, recently, I think SNL does really well um, on the racial humor. Like, I think it's gotten a lot better at that over the years. And I, I have to think it's be like Keenan being there is a huge reason for that. So you like, you have Black Jeopardy, you have Comeback Barack, you have Stroll into the Poles. Um, you have the one where um, he and Chris, or was, was it, uh, I think it's he and Ego are on that, um, the new show and they're sort of taking tallies on, uh, which race the crime is committed by. I think so that works because Keenan is there. Mm -hmm. So just just all of that um, adds up in Keenan's favor for me. Yeah, you did mention Black Jeopardy. I mean, just so fantastic in those sketches. Yeah. Uh, we have to talk about what up with that. I mean, to me, that yeah. is... <laughs> Like, you know, we're talking about a sketch where Keenan is anchoring out of pure energy and just running around sweaty and doing his thing on the show. It is so fantastic to get to see him. Um, I, <laughs> in particular, I loved back in the day, those scared straight sketches. We talked about that when Snakes yes. came up a little bit, but his like Lorenzo Macintosh always made me laugh so, so much. Uh, some other ones I have on my list, I do have, uh, he used to do these uh, Grady Wilson sketches where he would talk about, the, they'd be like, they would go to a bunch of different sex positions that he would do. And it, it, that to me was, was so hilarious as they would make up these sex positions that Keenan would be acting out with through the Grady Wilson sketches. They only did this twice, but there was this sketch called Eternal Spark of Love where they would be like a scene happening in an office and then he would like slide in as the narrator as like, ooh, yeah. And like, this the in. Yeah. And like, that's the type of thing that I just think is like, is so subtle, but like not celebrated enough that like when you bring like almost like the Kramer like from Seinfeld, like walking in through the door and making everybody laugh. Like Keenan has that ability in a sketch to just like come in and turn the sketch on his head and make people laugh. And, but he could also just be that main person in the sketch that gives you that look that that gives you such a big laugh and improves it. I do think back, I think this was probably at the end of season 47, we had this like home movies sketch where they did the whole like fast forward and rewind and, and Keenan was acting throughout that one. And we were saying at the time on the podcast, like as he was like acting out what it was like to rewind in real time, we were like, oh yeah, like we don't get a lot of like Keenan just like doing something on screen that everyone's like, wow. But like, that's because he has so many tools in his toolbox and he doesn't bring them out all the time because the show doesn't need him to. There are so many great performers on the show. And that's the thing about Keenan is that like, if you want Keenan to run the night, he'll do it for you and he'll be great at it. But the show doesn't always need it because they're so great at hiring talent that 
Keenan's cool with taking a step back and just stabilizing a ton of sketches. And I just think he's like an absolute Swiss army knife. So to me, again, one of the pure, most valuable cast members in the history of SNL. Um, yeah, just looking at the list of other stuff. I mean, we, we didn't really talk about some of his impressions as well, which, of course, his Cosby impression is very famous from back in the day. Uh, Charles Barkley that he does, which I know a lot of you love. Uh, his David Ortiz that came on update. I mean, he is probably one of the Willie, like he's one of the better Weekend Update correspondents that we've ever seen in the history of the show coming on as well. So in terms mm-hmm. of 21 seasons, just all over the history of the show. He's a very interesting person to evaluate. Rolling Stone did have him, again, 10 years ago, but they had him at 46 on their list. They said 12 seasons and counting, so I guess nine years ago, 12 seasons and counting, seemed more at home on Nickelodeon. Again, maybe that's how the perception was then because he was just starting to, you know, come out of this other cast and and develop in his own way. And, and, you know, the trajectory of Keenan's career has changed over the last 10 years, perhaps where now he is celebrated more than he was then. I, I would, you know, I would have been curious had we, uh, like before this list was created, I would have said like, wow, I really wonder how people view Keenan, where he would land on this. And I'm pleasantly surprised that he landed here at 10, because for me, I do think he's a top 10 cast member in the history of the show. I just think that the show has been, as a series, has been massively improved by having him there. So, Kirsten, any other thoughts you'd like to say about Keenan Thompson or moments that we didn't talk about yet? Um, I agree with what you're saying about not knowing where he'd land, but being happy that he's here. I, I concur. Um, you had that point about him taking the backseat at times, and I think of that pre-tape, that's the game, where Chris Red just got to lean into a really fun character and Harry Styles was there and Mikey Day, but he didn't play it straight. And it was the perfect foil for this kind of ragtag group of wannabe drug dealers. Um, so he can do it all. So, um, you know, if there was a Thanksgiving dinner in which Keenan was one of my relatives, I'd want to sit beside him or I'd be looking at him to get all the winks and jokes. Like what just a lovely person he seems to be um, based on everything that I can see of him on the show. And, and, and uh, I hope he doesn't go. I, I th- he just feels like he's a part of the wallpaper there in a good way. Eric, what are your final thoughts on Keenan? Anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the value in Keenan sort of comes from um, like the trust that we've built in him over the years. Um, I, I, I think I just love seeing him sort of guide everyone through the sketches. I loved him being the one to see Cecily strong off last year. Um, so yeah, I, I hope he continues to do that for at least a little bit longer. And unbelievably the final epitaph, I guess, whatever you're going to call it for Keenan Thompson, like it hasn't been written yet. We don't know how this story will end with Keenan Thompson. Will he be on the show for Another year, five more years, 10 years, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that if we ever do revisit this countdown, let's say 10 years from now, is, is Keenan still on the show? Like, does he continue to rise as we go on? Or is there a, a certain point, is there a drop off where it's like, all right, you've been on the show for 30 years now, like, you know, but but either way, I just think it's very interesting. Unlike uh, Bo and Yang and Ego Wodum, who we talked about, Mikey Day, who we talked about earlier in this conversation, there is you know, enough here to talk about with Keenan, enough ups and downs in the career where I think we can get an idea of how he does rank compared to his contemporaries. So 
that is uh, that is it. That is Keenan at ten, and we still have nine more to talk about in oh this top gosh. ten in the history of SNL. And I, I can't wait. These conversations have been so exciting, but we're not done tonight because every single week we have one final segment, and that is me bringing up my list in comparison to the list that is out so far. So every week I slot in the new cast members and tell you where I place them in this list of now 41 cast members. So Eric, I'm very excited to get your thoughts on this because I know you've been (laughs) watching week to week to see how you feel like I did. So here you go. We got on the left side, we got the cast members so far as revealed by the public or by the public voted by the public and revealed by us on the right i have my list so far so from 41 all the way through one i put david spade bowen yang martin short tracy morgan ego wodum chevy chase sherry o'terry mikey day joe piscopo tim meadows adam sandler jimmy fallon seth myers taron killam norm mcdonald vanessa bayer anna gastire rachel dratch chris parnell kevin nealon and then on the left side i have 21 up from bobby moynihan beck bennett ad bryant molly shannon and at 17 i do have tina fey here i was trying to think about where to place tina on my list i was trying to think at other cast members where do i compare her to i think andy samberg is a very interesting comparison to me andy samberg who was not known as being a great sketch performer but had that legacy where he changed the history of the show through the pre-tapes i think that may be the right spot because i think that him and tina have a really interesting you know this or that comparison because tina does change the game of saturday night live through what she did for women at the show andy changes the game in terms of pre-tapes could be something interesting there so i felt like tina slots in there well for me 16 andy samberg 15 maya rudolph 14 fred armison 13 will forte jane Curtin at 12 john lovitz at 11 and my top 10 right now starts with mike myers at 10 daryl hammond at 9 chris farley at 8 jason sudeikis at 7 john belushi at 6 jan hooks at 5 bill murray at 4 in comes gilda radner at 3 dan Aykroyd at 2 and keenan thompson at 1 for me right now Look, I'll start with Gilda. I think that Gilda, I really do believe, is so, so important to the history of the show. Like I said, the most exciting person to watch for me back in the day. I think that Dan Aykroyd's ability to stabilize sketches throughout the first five years, I think that the show like needs Dan Aykroyd in, in those first you know four years at the show, I guess. Uh, to me, that that is a very close, but I probably inch it towards Dan just a little bit. Um, and then Keenan Thompson, for me, like I said, it's really hard. I do value longevity, and I feel like that is so important here. I just think when you're comparing cast members who were on for four or five years, someone's been on 21 years, I think at a certain point, I do value what Keenan has brought to the history of the show. And I, I, so I have him at one right now. Maybe over the next few weeks, I can consider, I do think that Dan and Gilda are ones that I consider potentially hopping over there. And we could talk about that when I get Eric and Kirsten's opinions here. There will be definitely some people in the top nine that I have ahead of Keenan Thompson. But for now, I felt like Keenan and all the things to celebrate him in his 21 career. I'm going to start him here at one. We'll see over the next three weeks if he goes up or down, but he'll be somewhere in that area uh, where we are talking about near or outside the top 10. Kirsten, what do you think about where I place Keenan, Gilda, and Tina? Well, now I understand your passionate endorsement of both of them because I see where you place them. Do you not have Will Ferrell on your list? I'm just curious. Well, these are only people who we've talked about so far and revealed. Oh, so, so, I see. I see. Yeah, okay. So if Will Ferrell was to come up over the next few weeks, then we would slow Oh, I see. You're, you're stopping at 41. The, yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. I see now why you've got Keenan up there and uh, how do you feel about him being at 10 versus one then? Well, 
I mean, for for now, I, I I just say like up until this point, I just think with everything he's brought, the fact yeah. that the show has been on for almost fifty years, Keenan yeah, has yeah. been on for forty percent of the history of the show, yeah. I, and he has continued to dominate late in this stage of his career. I just think it's yeah. really hard not to place him at one. So that's why I have him there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, I it, agree. It, You've got some old folk, like some old timers, up in that top ten of yours. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know we're talking about people who are part of the greatest times in the history of the show. Uh, yeah. Eric, do you have an opinion on where I put Keenan, Gilda, and Tina here? Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with their individual placements. I think um, Ke- with Keenan's longevity, it is hard to compare him to Dan and Gilda. And then Dan and Gilda themselves, I think they bring such different things to this show that um, it could really go either way for me as well. Um, I-, I say my biggest bone to pick is not with Tina's placement, but with the disparity between Tina and Seth Meyers, um, because I okay. think Seth and Tina bring like fairly similar things to the show. They're both more primarily known for their update as well as their writing. Um, you know, Seth was on the show longer. He did more sketches, but Tina has more of that, um, you know, legacy off the show, I suppose. So I, I, I'd like to hear some justification in that discrepancy. Sure. Well, I think that the major difference between me evaluating Seth Meyers, who I absolutely love and was my update anchor watching him on the show versus Tina is has to do with the fact that I do look at these rankings as a totality of the history of the show and not just the time as of these people as cast members. Seth Meyers does not have a Sarah Palin-esque return to the show where he comes back. Everyone's like, oh, is Seth Meyers going to be on the show tonight playing John Kerry? Like, that's not happening. Um, And then, you know, Seth Meyers has hosted the show one time and it was good. You know, it was a good time to see Seth back there. But Tina's, you know, hosted six times at the show is one of the only women in the five timers club. I think that in terms of like their importance to the history of the show, I love Seth. I think he is very like I've argued for him for the Hall of Fame because I think he is that quarterback of that third golden era. And I do believe that, you know, transitioning from Tina to Seth as head writer made the show's quality better. But I just think in totality, in terms of like individual contribution to the history of the show, I think you have to talk about Tina as being in that next tier above Seth. Yeah. Makes sense, I think. What about you, Eric? (laughs) That's acceptable. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I think that's good. Eric, do you have have an opinion on Keenan Thompson here at one? You think that's the right spot for him right now? Um, I think I personally would have dan and gilda higher um but i i understand why you would have that one or why anyone would have that one uh, at least with the people we've said so far all right okay so there you go so if you disagree you have every right to tell me put it in the comments as we talk through as you go and watch us talk through this episode uh like i said i knew tonight was going to be full of lively discussion because these are three all-time greats between tina gilda and keenan thompson and then we have nine more to go over the next three weeks so next week we'll have nine eight and seven for you to talk about but before we get there we do have our emma stone and Noah Khan coverage of Saturday Night Live coming up this Saturday, where you can join us right after the show for the Hot Take Show live at 1.10 a.m. Eastern. We'll be back here with a great panel to break down all of those sketches. Will we see a five-timers club sketch? That is a big question. We will see. So uh, we'll talk about that. We've got our Monday Night Roundtable next week, which will be a lot of fun. By the numbers, we'll be back next Wednesday, and then we'll be back next week for another edition of the Greatest Cast Members in SNL History. Kirsten, thanks for joining us tonight. Anything you would like to plug? 
Uh, thank you. Um, if you're in the Toronto area, please check out our seasonal uh, intergenerational storytelling event that is women-focused. It's generationwomen.ca. Eric, thank you so much for joining us as well. Anything you would like to plug? Uh, thank you, John. This has been a pleasure. Um, yeah, so I'll be probably posting some YouTube statistics uh, via my Twitter, at uh, SNLytics. Um, so feel free to give me a follow there if you want to see. Awesome. We have so much Emma Stone content coming out on our social platforms. So you got to follow us at the SNL Network. Find us on Twitter or X or and then as well as TikTok, Instagram and Facebook at the SNL Network. You can find us and check out everything we are going on. Give us a follow and to never miss a show that we have. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We just had our feedback show come out on Monday. So unless you if you didn't watch that show yet, so much fun to get to answer all the questions. We had a ton of patrons come on with us as well. So that show is out on all of the feeds as well. All right. On behalf of Kirsten and Eric, my name is John from the SNN. We will see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.